guest today is um, on both sides and a very dear friend for a long, long time. Um, his name is Bennett Zimmerman. He is an American, grew up in Long Beach, born in Philly. He was a strategy consultant with major uh, Fortune 500 or 100 firms uh, in the States. He went to Harvard. He also, as well as his uh, business side, worked in the record industry at BMG. Um, He also began at a very strategic time, uh, the Israel Emerging Fund, which was uh, to encourage people to invest in Israel and Israeli stocks and companies, uh, which at the time was very innovative. Now everybody's doing it. He's also written a book for kids on finances called Go Stock Go, introducing kids to the stock market. Um, And he has, in the last number of years, created an organization called the Rock Justice Awards, which is part of his uh, passion for the music industry and his best connection to Australia, or the nicest one, is that he is an absolute ardent fan of the very original Little River Band that came out of Australia. Now, I'm telling you all of this because we're not going to talk about any of that, but we will have him back when Morris is here. Today, I've got Bennett Zimmerman all to myself as a friend and to talk to us about some of his adventures and some of his thoughts on life and good things like that. Bennett, welcome to the studios with me. Good day. Good day. (laughs) I'm glad to be in Australia. I'm so glad you can say that now. Good day. Uh, and it is my third time here. Um, my last two times, I went to every state and, and both of the major territories, and I thought it would be my last time here. But the people are so marvelous, I had to come back. Well, we love to hear that. And I haven't been to every state in Australia, so that makes you even more impressive. Yeah. One must do so by intention. It doesn't happen by accident. That's very true. And what was your intention in doing that? Uh, Well, I had been to all 50 states in the U.S., so there was no more to visit, and then all 10 provinces in Canada and three major territories, and so, of course, I had to go through the list. Actually, I I think when you visit a lot of uh, different places in quick succession to each other, or if you go on a European holiday and see countries next to country, you can see the finer differences between them. And the differences between countries is certainly interesting and often obvious, but the differences in states, in countries, is not always so obvious. So what are the differences here in Australia, in our different states? Well, actually, I think it is a unified national Identity. I think it's really more by geography. You know, Queensland is more towards the towards the Great Barrier Reef and coastal communities, more of the tropics. Um, and then I think there's, of course, the Great Outback, which is uh, similar wherever you go. But as a tourist destination, I wouldn't skip even one of them. Darwin, I, I loved the fact that I couldn't go into the water because of the crocodiles or because <laughs> of the uh, of the of the uh, the jellyfish floating around, and then. 
Perth reminded me a lot of Los Angeles, the weather, and even driving into the California-like mm. forests. But hands down, my favorite place in Australia is uh, is Melbourne. It's a city that seems like Los Angeles, San Francisco, and New York all at the same time. So great to hear, since we are in fact in Melbourne. Um, but so visually, of course, all the states are completely different. But also, you're traveling on your own, which also offers a greater opportunity to mix and meet with people, new people. Uh, did you find a difference in people in different states? Well, I, I think, uh, uh, actually, I think that the, you know, America went through its uh, great last struggle in the, uh, in the civil rights struggle of the 60s, where the South was much different than the North, and also a lot of the northern cities had problems with race as well, and I think that that's when uh, the year I was born, 1963, Martin Luther King Jr. made the I Have a Dream speech, which, by the way, all of his biblical references are from the Jewish Bible or the Torah, and um, setting that prophetic vision of uh, peace, including um, that he might not get to the promised land. And as we know, he was he was killed, but he was he became like an American yes. of Moses. I. By the time I got to first grade in 1970, I thought America was really on a path where it had self-improved almost to perfection as a nation. And so it is a, 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 a strong democracy. Very different from today. But getting back to Australia, uh, so are you saying that the people that you actually met and interacted with and spoke to uh, were pretty much the same, whether you're in the Northern Territory or whether you were in um, Sydney? Well, I would describe it more as that I, I found Australia to be more like the United States than any place I've been because everyone has a self-confident identity they define by being Australia. Americans define themselves by being American. Uh, without any offense to anyone from Canada or New Zealand, a, a, a Canadian will define themselves in relation to how they're not like the U.S. or they live within 100 miles, uh, about 150 kilometers of the U.S. border. New Zealanders tend to tell you how they are distinct from Australia. And uh, an Australian will say, I've never been out of the country or maybe I've been out of the country once or twice. Or they, So there is a self-confidence that your own destiny is linked in Australia. So I found that Australians are actually a very unified nation. Did you find that you, um, particularly being on your own, uh, did you find that you connected with people that were at the places, that the venues that you met, were they mainly families or people from overseas or actual Australians? I tend to stay in hotels uh, to, to get a bit of a, the international common experience and the common news, but um, I found Australians universally are friendly. You can talk to so many of them. Um, it has one-thirteenth the population of the USA with uh, wow. similar similar land size to the lower 48 as we call them except for Alaska and um, I found that I could people I admired in the arts or so forth um, it was easy to contact them and uh, either by Facebook or and they'd say well let's meet for a catch-up so I found that that accessibility and most of them are in Sydney or Melbourne people you you would want to meet they're open or they're doing a show you go down and see them say hello and they're very open to having a full discussion or being your friends that Fair. would not happen in the states that's interesting uh, that's an interesting comment because in business I find it the flip people are more are far easier to connect with on business in the states than they are here in Australia but 
I digress. Did you also meet some um, native Aboriginal people in your travels? Um, I went on... Um I honestly can't say uh, that I I have. I I took some of the tours around uh, Ayers Rock, uh, Uluru, if I said that correctly, and from a different uh, different perspectives. And some were telling the the Aboriginal story, and um, others were telling it just more from geography. And I tried to be uh, uh, you know it's it's not my national story, but I I uh, I. I will say this, I, I have found that Australia, more so than any other nation, has uh, people talk about Australia Day, the controversies, but I actually found that Australians get along very well. You see the the Aboriginal flag, it flies equal with the Australian flag. I saw in many of the celebrations, there's uh, much of the, the entertainment, the cultural uh, aspects, or whenever someone begins a meeting here, they say this was first um, uh, of, of this tribe, and so the, the, the sensitivity of uh, Australians towards each other, I think, is 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 remarkable. And I'll say one more thing. I know that some people. Uh, it's not for me to take a position. It's only to observe. I don't know any other country that has done as much. And so I think Australians should pat themselves on the back for jobs well done, rather than looking for what's not right. I think it's very impressive as it is. That is so nice to hear from somebody who's coming, who's not only visited but visited the whole of Australia as well. So so knows. Um, do Do you find yourself talking to, uh, say, when you're being served in a restaurant, the wait? staff or in a store do you get into conversations with the person serving you that sort of thing um yes and they tend to find my um my accent charming Uh, they can spot me immediately uh, through that accent and um certainly australians always say 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 good day or hello and what's it like actually traveling on your own for extended periods of time um sometimes it's uh great because it can um see and do what I want or if I want to do something um, a little out of budget like I've taken my first helicopter rides in in Australia How and so, exciting. sometimes it's affordable on one's uh, on one's own the other time in, in Perth I think I was um, feeling a little under the weather I decided to just watch movies for two days and and um and sometimes give myself a break and just be so just, can just do relax, that. relax you can't do that if you're on a group tour where you have to show up at seven thirty. and uh, because of the english uh, um, australians speak better english than americans we have limited vocabulary in, <laughs> really? in the states uh, yes i think anyone that comes from the british uh, from britain or the british commonwealth uh, tend to have uh better educations i remember when tony blair showed up and spoke to congress people were amazed and all he did was speaking english <laughs> and and americans uh, maybe maybe we are we are we, we, we are we, we are simpler but i i was going to comment but you went to harvard i mean everybody <laughs> exalts uh, these places the h-bomb as they call it well, well i went to dartmouth college for my undergraduate university studies which i i quite love and i went to harvard business school i enjoyed the students here I'll say something controversial all the way in Melbourne. I think Harvard is an institution with a large endowment, and maybe they should make education free for the best qualified students. I don't know. It's the rich giving to the rich. And Not that, that I'm against the rich, but 
I'll and just call the, it a fact, fact. Yes, and I would love to do a whole program on just that on its own because in addition to the funding that it and the, the funds that it receives, uh, Harvard today um, is also like the majority of universities around the world that's uh, subjected to political uh, and politically correct and incorrect uh, attitudes. And um, this is, I'm trying not to get political on the show, but you keep raising my ire about these things i'll say something just to to make the show interesting i think um, one of the characteristics i noted at harvard business school is there was an equal number of undergraduates from harvard from yale princeton and also from dartmouth college where i went um, to my undergrad and i thought that the dartmouth students and the yale yaleys uh, could engage in debate from day one because they had uh, Yale always tries to keep up with Harvard Dartmouth was a very social campus and they had a variety of conservative and liberal viewpoints at the school whereas the Harvard students are probably the most qualified going in but they're told for four years you're smart you're brilliant you have good ideas and so they didn't they weren't challenged to challenge their own ideas and this institution produces so many policies uh, in the United States and the world without having to really argue or to 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 fully vet them out. And it, it's one point I, I would make that people use the word sustainable. They they say here is a program and it's meant to be sustainable. As a strategy consultant, I learned to well, what are the different options, and let's try to measure what are the results that are considered success that is sustainable, and what are the same measurements that would say it's not sustainable and your policy is wrong. And I find that that uh, that if government policy develops from a university that does not have real world testing, um, we tend to get policies that that take that, that become institutionalized without a test and. And, and this is why Donald Trump is testing all of those um, past theories and acceptabilities of government, which is fine. <laughs> and again, don't want to get into politics, but... <laughs> well, I, I won't. And I, I will say, of course, uh, look, whether it was Bernie Sanders on the far left or Donald Trump on, on the right, there there is a feeling in, in America there was an anti-establishment um, yes. movement. I, 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 have to, I have to say, uh, though, I uh, coming from America, discourse between right and left is unacceptable. Totally. I believe as president, it's his job to reach to the center and to speak more kindly, whatever his ideas are. And I think that the most important uh, issue in America is that uh, left and right learn to speak to each other with respect. Mm. It has to start from the top. That is his responsibility. And whatever happened to something called debate, which we learned in high school, or you would call colleges here, to take an opposing point of view and to uh, argue so, it. Social media has killed the debate. Well, actually, I think bringing debate back in the original form might actually be a cure for what's happening on social media because that it's an intense hour of views on both sides. So that may actually might be something that would be of interest. But I do want to say that I doubt very much that if you went back to Harvard today, it would be anywhere near the institution it was when you were there that it just students are being um, used in politic politics so badly but going back to this fun stuff you've been doing which is traveling around the world um, so you did the f all 50 states of the US first and then came and then 
progressed on to Australia. But what was the impetus, actually, for you deciding to do this travel? Well, um, uh, besides the... uh, When I was working at Bain & Company and Consulting, we used to have these maps. We would fill in the states. Because of the business travel, we'd get to 25 or 27 of the 50 states, and there becomes a point of inevitability where it became a competition. And you you can't complete all 50 unless... uh, If you're visiting an adjacent one, sometimes you would drive over and say from Tennessee say ha is this Mississippi and they'd say sure is and I'd say I need to touch the ground and eat something <laughs> I ordered some french fries and, and eventually though I, I, I have slept in each state to make sure it's a proper <laughs> visit but there are rules to these games uh, I would say it's uh, first of all there is something different I can say about uh, each of them I, I love America I love its people and you you do learn distinctions uh, common media in the old days we used to watch the same news we used to have the same top 40 charts and there was more of a unified culture you're correct now uh, I, uh, Dominic was saying uh, Facebook or social media people only talk within their own camps and something that I learned as a kid uh, uh, an uncle of mine Uncle Joe uh, up, uh, up looking from above he said uh, I think it was Rousseau who said you know I will fight to the death for your right to have an opposing view or something of this That's nature. Voltaire. Oh, Voltaire. Yes, I'm an American. I'm, un, I'm uneducated. Sorry, I studied French literature. <laughs> well, I'm glad you did. Uh, don't start with French with me. It's the one language I've been told I should never attempt to speak. Uh, but there but there was a, he said something once. He said, do not label someone um, with a view. Hear their viewpoint, but don't uh, don't list them as you, you, you liberal, you mm. this, you conservative, that, and just take it point by point, and each person has a name, and show them respect. And actually, this is, that's really what the point of, uh, of these programs are, while Morris is away. These are to show that people are people. They're very complex human beings, and they're people that have histories that you have no idea about, and until you really get to know them. And you, there's no need for you to. We, I remember from my final year exam, there was a question that said, um, no man is an island. And you had to write a confidence. A, a, a paper on that. He's a piece of the <laughs> continent. I think yeah. the next slide. So, but it it is no person is an island, but they are an island unto themselves because they are unique. They're unique in their experiences. They're unique in the way that they react to their experiences, and uh, they're unique in the way they see the world. So even the views they have can, in fact, be very different. So what I wanted, what I was always also, uh, it's I'm blessed to be your Facebook friend because oh, we've been more than I knew you before Facebook <laughs> way so. before Facebook we were real friends right. but what I get to see on Facebook is so much more of what you're experiencing as you're traveling which is wonderful but the the part that also interests me are all the people that just love and adore you the way I do I thought it was just me um, can you say a couple of things about this worldwide friendship base that you have and that are connected to 
Well, look, sometimes I go through the list of Facebook friends and I say, would I really have um, dinner with some? Or actually, if they were in the same town, would we actually hang out together? Sometimes the, the, the distance allows uh, communication when you're ready for the communication. And so it used to be email. Remember the days when we had to call people and you would have to oh catch them up on years and years. <laughs> and write letters. Oh, writes letters, yes. Actually, I still have two friends that send Christmas letters with a with a with a summary of everything that's happened in the year. But I, I, go I'll, ahead I, and uh, remind me to come back to to actually handwriting. It's an issue for me. But I think uh, why have I made so many f- friends in Australia? It's uh, besides the fact that we share a common language and there is a common pop culture which i've admired here especially it is uh, it's the time difference um when i am um <laughs> in, it's uh it's always five or six or seven hours before la just the next day and so if i'm at midday uh, uh there's people just getting up at six or seven on facebook or late at night i sometimes have sleep problems um if it's uh two in the morning I it's then it's then it's nine o'clock at uh, it might be nine o'clock in the evening here and people are up and they're writing and so when the United States sleeps I who is there to talk to and and there's not the same language comfort with people in Europe or Israel or or so forth but Australia um, you certainly speak it to language I, I I get all of that but there's something a little deeper because people aren't just connecting with you because it's convenient for you either there's also you can there's a really genuine affection for who and what you are um and what you're putting out there is obviously really resonating but i will say uh, australians are actually extremely honest people and they'll write what you what they like what, what what their frank opinion is um if you ask for an evaluation they will provide one and they also ask for advice back and so i think that they are uh, willing to to engage and be real (laughs) there are uh, just a couple of things i want to go back to um you i mentioned that you wrote a book for kids called um go stock go do you want to just mention a little bit about that and the fact that it is on amazon uh well it's uh, it's a it's a dr seuss like book on the stock market for for kids it's called a stock market a go stock go um, a stock market guide for enterprising children and their curious parents everything you were afraid your kids would ask and it's actually it's i i have never liked the jargon of economic textbooks and so i tell it through the story of a of, of a family that buys a portfolio together they learn lessons of risk and reward and then there is an advanced section called let's talk stock but many people uh, don't learn the fundamentals of how do you decide whether a stock is fairly valued what is what is a stock it's a piece of a company it's a a, a company that that sells and has costs and either makes or loses money and you own a piece of it and i try to show that with cartoons and pictures in, in a non-intimidating way for kids but also for adults who might never have picked it up in the first and it place simple enough for adults to understand which is great so i really wanted to give that a plug and it's available at 
Amazon. Bennett Zimmerman, author, Go Stock Go. It's my only book up there now, so you'll you'll <laughs> find it. Uh, my next uh, book I'd like, I, I which now commits me to writing it this year, is one. It's uh, maybe explains to the world, but really to Americans, to explain the electoral college system. We have a very unique system in the yes. states of where each state selects electors to send to Washington, which then vote for the president. And uh, there's a lot of discussion about it, but I want to give the background to it. And again, use the same characters as I used in Go Stock Go, um, um, learning about it, having differing views, and coming to understand why the United States chose um, such a system and why it exists until today. I look forward to that coming out. I actually have a visual, just a one slide that I've actually kept on my phone that's just a visual of the electoral college system so remind me later okay so that's excellent we look forward to that coming out as well um and then also um you're you've had an interest for a long time as i mentioned in the little river band uh an australian group the original group do you want to just give us uh, uh, tell us a little bit about how you got fascinated with them how they themselves have evolved and how exciting, what an exciting part of your trip this is at the moment. Well, first of all, with having 21,000 CDs, I'm quite an um, audiophile in general. OMG, he's only got, Dominic only has 17,000. Only 17,000 songs on my computer. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and I have to really go through them because um, I actually bought the collection of a uh, friend of, of ours, Avi Davis from Los Angeles, who passed away too young at 57. And his son said, my father collected collections. And I said, I don't want to see it broken up. So there's quite a, a I, I, I have to arrange them. I have a history of Australian rock and roll sitting in one of my rooms at home. Because but, Avi Davis was, in fact, an Australian and he did go too quickly, but spent the latter years in America. And also Israel was also a great um, Zionist and yes, lover. he built a home in Swat. But my own interest in Australian music was um, we used to have something. Uh, I was born in '63 and '75. We had pen friends. Uh, you would write a, a, a pen pal. We called them in America. Yes, and she was from Tamworth, um, New South Wales, which I understand is the country music capital. And she was telling me about a group called Sherbet, which has how's that, which. Uh, I've heard of them. You have you heard see, of them. It was see. a massive English world hit with the exception of the United States. And then uh, I listened to American Top 40. I was very much into the charts. And then in 1976, a band called Little River Band broke through with a song called It's a Long Way There. And then they continued to have in the States, I, I think in some respects, their success, uh, they were huge here, but they had seven years in a row where they had eight top 10 hits, none of them disco during the disco era. So they were a rock um, band that held the fort during that uh, during that era. They sold 30 million r records, one of them called Reminiscing, which John Lennon and Frank Sinatra called the best song of the 70s. Wow. Did not know that. And they sold so many names, and they uh, all for one and all for the band. As they retired from the band, um, the last American member standing in the group 
um, assumed the name. The way the paperwork was uh, was set up and written is that as the Australian members, the ones who wrote the songs, sang the songs, performed the songs, performed 600 concerts in the States, they lost the rights, according to an Australian um, court, to call themselves the Little River wow. Band. Wow. So all the proceeds that would have come from the publishing and everything as well. Well, they keep the, they keep the publishing and they keep the sales, but there's a lucrative um, 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 concert uh, market. There's 100 cities in the U.S that would support such a market when they wanted to get back as original little river band the ones who owned the rights to the name stopped them or, or harassed promoters and say wow. you, could, you can only have such a small size calling yourselves little river band in fact littleriverband.com in the states blocks anyone from australia from going to the site because they are afraid of the australians telling the truth that not, none of you none of you wrote or wrote or sang these songs so mm-hmm. it's I, I i i have a project called the rock justice awards i find many artists we've done concerts in la and i don't know if it's a concert or or an essay or maybe they should appear on American TV, but I believe that the, the the writers deserve to be known by their own names, whether you use the name Band Little or River ever again. And so this is really one of the impetuses for me having you on here as well, because you had a passion. You had a passion to travel, and you did. You fulfilled that. You did something about it. You had a passion for this rock music, and so you collected and, and, you've, and you kept a history and and so this passion sort of then drove you on to the next passion, which is this um, Rock Justice Awards. And the Rock Justice Awards, I'm going to ask you to tell us about it. But just from my perspective, um, I found it amazing that you would find a way to actually meet these people that were also your your, your heroes and people that you really wanted to meet as a child. You created the opportunity to then not only only meet them but honor them and that's that's that was a choice and that was a way to go and i really mean way to go um, um, I've just come back from throwing a concert for a group called The Association, which Australians would know the song. Everyone knows it's windy. And actually, uh, Cherish, which was made popular here by David Cassidy, was a, is a huge number one hit by The Association in the States. And three of the top 100 most played songs in the United States over the past centuries were by this group. They're not as well known here, but we just did a concert uh, in L.A. Uh, I named them top five artists for all time given the amount of radio airplay and top vocal group in 3,000 years thinking they must have sounded as good as the people singing in in King Solomon's temple so that's how I came up with 3,000 years and it was a wonderful love fest to finding their intense fans and bringing them uh, bringing them together uh, 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 you also created a concert in Israel for one of your... Um, that's actually for uh, an ar- uh, American artist named John Ford Coley. He, w- England Ann and John Ford Coley had 10 hits in the States. They had a big one in Australia called I'd Really Love to See You Tonight. And he uh, wanted to do a concert in Israel. And then from that, I, sa- uh, I, sa- I saw what a... He was a virtuoso player, a one-man orchestra on piano or, or guitar. So we brought him to L.A. And at the studios, he played Elton John's piano 
literally that's the studio where Elton John records and his guitar and he had he he too had a massive reception of, of fans who loved him from the day and uh, and uh, and so yes John was one of our honor honorees uh, tell us a little bit about the uh, rock justice awards that you're so as I said we've done something with uh, uh, the association which is an American um, institution I'd call, I call some ways I call them the Australian skyhook maybe that's wrong or right I don't know uh, John Ford Coley um, a an alternative artist named Adam Marslin who played 2000 sessions and we surprised him with how many hundreds of fans came out of the woodworks and really appreciated his work um, uh, even though he worked more behind the scenes um, I want to do before we're done a conversation with Yoko Ono I think she has something interesting to say uh, I want to give her uh, that respect uh, what did she and John Lennon um, talk about how what were the uh, points she made up and actually Yoko Ono has done something interesting she always she gave 10,000 pounds a year to the Liverpool Holocaust Museum and she developed an exhibit called Sand and Water and she had um, basically ashes and she put names by each of them wow. pointing out that each of these victims of course had names and were people and persons and so her sensitivity towards that issue at a very early point uh, made me pay attention to um, Yoko, I there are other artists that are quite huge. I want to give um, Elton John's original band an award for their musicianship, and even to say to Elton, after all these years, you are the best rock artist in the world. While he's Not still one around. of the best, yes. While he's still around, I was yeah. I was at his very first concert in in Australia all those many years ago. Well, was that at seven, seventy three? Or everyone talks about the seventy three concert. It was it was around that time. Yeah. I was just at the end of high school and yeah. really good stuff. Um, so these awards are really sound like they've they're really taking on a, a force of their own. They're they're about they're it's a finite list. There'll be eleven artists I'd like to make a statement on, and it's really about trying to understand um, artists from a perspective that might have been overlooked, no matter mm-hmm. how large they 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 were. And I, I hope to do a documentary from it, and that and that'll be a finite uh, project. I think uh, people should be encouraged to speak about art, which is important to them, not just what the critics and say is. Important. Uh, does it have its own website yet? Or um, it's it's in development. Uh, rockjusticecourt.com, but you'll see it. it rockjusticecourt.com. C o u r t. W w w dot r o c k justice j u s t i c e court c o u r t dot com. But it is in development. But you can start to see some exciting pictures coming up. So go visit again six months from now. Six months. What, from now. what was it that you started off with at BMG? Um, at BMG, I came directly from Harvard Business School, and uh, it's, it was a German company. And they said, "Yeah, we want to get uh, new talent into the record industry." Yeah, I'm. I'm. I, I've been to Germany. I I enjoy the people there, but that's the way it was. And I, uh, I they wanted to hire me for corporate to do analyze financial deals and such. But I said I want to work at a record label, and so they. Uh, I met the head of RCA Records, then Bob Buziak, and I called myself. I could make the title the manager of strategic planning, and I studied every single artist in the industry, signed all the different labels, and tried to understand what were the strengths of each label, what might be our weaknesses in terms of how big we wanted our roster to be, how big we wanted our promotion staff to be, and so and did a analysis of of a creative industry, but used business skills in doing so, and it it worked out very well. Sounds fabulous, and it sounds like throughout your life in 
fact you've been following your bliss within your careers? Uh, it's uh, sometimes when you step off the normal track, actually, you, uh, you're you off that fast track or, or so forth. And I've, I remember many times I didn't like the lonely path. I'd say to myself, why do I have to do this on my own? But I'd figure out a way to make a, a living. And it, it leads to interesting projects. The Israel Emerging Growth Fund was when, uh, after I had stopped with the record industry and uh, people were putting money into internet companies, online companies that didn't even understand this in 93, 94, and I was trying to get funding for a record company. And that's when um, Israel liberalized its capital markets and the, the Russian Aliyah people moving in. And that's when Israel's eco- high-tech economy took off. So I said, I always wanted to do something here. And that's when I started Israel Emerging Growth um, Fund. I said, um, um, there are different times to do different things. And now uh, I'm 55. I'm saying that my rock passion still exists. And so I'm choosing to do work there. Yeah, but you it was, re- it was really following a passion. And it kind of sounds hilarious now, a days. But in those days, it really was completely... Um, a new box and innovative to even think about investing in Israeli companies. So you really were one of the pioneers. I remember in 1989, I was at Harvard Business School and the Japanese students used to always organize during breaks trips to Japan to see Japanese business. And almost as a joke with some of the Israeli students, we did a let's go to Israel and see the economy there. You could tell excellence. You'd go to an Air Force base and you would see absolute excellence, including um, flight simulators. I was not able to fly a plane. I flew it right down into the ground. Uh, But we saw a company called Teva Pharmaceuticals and I saw a presentation as good as anything I'd seen anywhere in the world. And now they're the largest uh, maker of generic drugs in in the world. And so there was a huge change in that business environment in the 1989-90 period, which was um, undeniable. And and then with the new population coming into Israel, but again, there was a joint government between Likud and Labor, and they decided on some economic parameters of agreement, which really liberalized Israel from a socialist to a a freer market economy. And they started selling off. uh, One thing Benjamin Netanyahu did as economic minister is he sold off all the state enterprises no matter what the price one by one by one to try and change the emphasis from the private to to the uh, from the public sector to the private sector um, and it worked courage innovation and, 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 and it worked yeah courage innovation in a great way now do you Bennett do you even realize that the majority of people would love to do things, but they stop themselves. They don't allow themselves to do things, whether it's in business or in their work, or particularly in this fabulous travel that you've been doing. Um, are you aware of that? And what are some of the? Uh, what is it that that get, gets you going and motivated to actually do it? Well, actually, the travel. It's not uh, careers do not move in straight lines, and there's times in Los Angeles things weren't working I said well I'm not going to waste time at least I'm going to educate myself on a different part of the world and so that became in 2011 I started um, I wouldn't say obsessively so but I spent about a third of my year away at various trips and gaining each one gaining a different perspective on a country and I'd like to write a book on world affairs from it but there was a time uh, 
January of uh, 2018, I returned from a trip and I said, I've had enough of the travel and it's time also, to, it's now time to focus on Los Angeles where I live. And, to, and I made a pledge not to leave the United States for one year just <laughs> to see what would happen. And where I gravitated is I first moved out of a tiny apartment into a, into a much bigger place where I could actually have a home office and put those 21,000 CDs and not have to look at them. And um, and what came from it was the the music project, the Rock uh, Justice Awards, and it also as you do more, you uh, your as your schedule gets busier, you can um, then take on more things. And my next goal is to continue with the music projects, but to start some writing projects um, as well. And sometimes that takes staying in in the same place. Uh, it did hit me when um, I was saying to a good friend. Uh, she was I was saying I can't get anything done and she says well Bennett you've been seven weeks away and now you're here for six weeks <laughs> ready to, before your next trip of seven weeks you never really stay at at home and that hit me uh, quite a bit and so I said it's true uh, even if you do a little a day you don't think that you're making headway towards a project if you stay on task and you work at it long enough um things change things develop things move forward and you start to become more efficient at it and you can make such a midlife uh, change uh, one more thing on that is any industry you want to work in uh, most people are looking for a certain salary level or whether they were equal to their current uh, current level I say go to that company volunteer work for less and within six two years you'll be at the the top of that company yes. if it is your passion yes i did that a lot of that when i was coming out of school i volunteered to work um we're coming to a close this has been absolutely fabulous um i guess it's that nike thing uh, just do it don't overthink it don't over strategize and it really is totally inspirational to hear about just a tiny corner of what you've been doing we'd definitely love to have you back one um and love seeing you here and come back to australia lots it's a deal 